0: He's already been dead, and it's messed with his head. It's John's Post-Life Crisis. Welcome to John's Post-Life Crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder and manager of CornNation.com. are Nebraska Cornhuskers site of terrific fun, even more fun, galores of fun. Now the college football season is upon us this episode, we welcome Matt Brown of SB Nation who, by his business card, is Associate Director of College Brands. In other words, he's my boss. Matt has a newsletter about college football and topics that you damn well want to subscribe to and we'll give you that information during the podcast. Uh, How are you doing today, Matt?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. My, my my kids are at school, I'm properly caffeinated, we're so very close to being able to talk about college football games that have actually happened instead of in the abstract, which makes everything
0: easier, so I'm I'm doing very well today, how are you? Oh. <laughs> you know, I never think about that, I, Ramsey asked me that, the last guy I interviewed, and I was like, I don't know how I am, if I think about it too much, then I just get, you know, I go, ooh, I'm old and creaky. Nobody but, wants to hear that.
1: You're still here. You're still ticking. This is this is a post life podcast where you're actually talking.
0: Well that's um, that so, true. You know, I I think I think the baseline level here is not so bad. <laughs> good points. I should stay much more positive. Actually what I need to do is come up with a good response when people ask me, How am I doing?
1: Yeah, it it's a it's a very it's a weird American thing I've noticed, right? If in places in Europe or in South America where I've been, and you ask somebody that, they're going to give you an honest answer. You know, whether like, hey, I'm I'm depressed lately, or hey, these 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 this that and the other is actually happening. Whereas in a, in American English, it's it's almost as if you ask and you're not exactly expecting an answer, and you have to ask again. It's just sort of like this small talk ritual sort of thing, I guess. My this, wife this, knows this that the podcast is, is starting in a, in a different direction than I anticipated but let's go with it.
0: <laughs> my wife knows that if I say fine that I'm really angry about something.
1: That, okay, that,
0: we'll, that, we'll, we'll we'll move into the actual content. <laughs> you have a newsletter called Extra Points. I so do. Talk about that. Tell people what it is. I would I would I would love to
1: talk about Extra Points. So, um the, the genesis of this project was I I'm increasingly really interested in a lot of issues that impact college football that aren't directly related to what happens on the field. There's a common refrain from people that – you know, we, we want college football to be a refuge from politics or a refuge from other things that happened in, in life, and we want people to stick to sports. But I think, particularly in college football, I think that's impossible, right? Most of the teams are large, literal state supported entities. And so, how they spend their money, how they get their money, and what they decide to do with that money, like those are literally political decisions. So, th- this is a newsletter, it comes out uh, at least twice a week that talks about. Uh, How sports business, how uh, how state politics, how demographic change or culture or the 150 years of college football history impact what happens on the field, particularly for you as a fan. Like I I, this this is not a Darren Ravel kind of, you know, newsletter where we're digging into, you know, what are the brands doing for the brand's sake? Like, I I don't care about that. Like, I'm more trying to highlight stuff that I think matters for you um it's launched in late april and it's it the reviews i think seem pretty good um we've touched upon a, a lot of different topics over the last two months that that really intersect with the finances of the sport which i think are very relevant right now but not so easy to understand
0: what, one of those things was recruiting finances uh, because usa today i believe did an article on uh recruiting finances and how much each school is spending on their recruiting and you pointed out that there's a lot of discrepancies in how schools report their finances
1: yeah and and this is this is a big a big picture problem in a lot of ways, you know, the, you're right. You were published this thing a couple of days ago. I, I think stadium actually had this data mostly first earlier in this month. And, you know, here's a, a spreadsheet of how much every power five program reports to the NCAA that they spend on recruiting. And the teams at the top are probably the ones you'd expect your Georgia's your Clemson's your LSU's, um, teams that are spending well north of a million dollars a year. And at the bottom are also teams you'd probably expect, right? Like I think Kansas State is is near the bottom. They're spending, you know, about a half a million. Purdue is is a little bit lower. Some of these teams aren't really getting blue chip kids or even regular chip kids. you know, are, are, are not spending as much. But there's a lot of variance in the middle, like Ohio State. A team that you know—that's my alma mater. They're generally a top five recruiting program. They're flying all over the country to get kids, and I think they weren't even listed in the top fifteen for spending. And Kansas, which is essentially an FCS football program at this point, um, was was above them. And I, I, I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, like, there's just no way in hell that Kansas is spending more money on football recruiting than Ohio State. So like, I'm going to—I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Um, I sent a couple of FOIAs to go get itemized expenses, which is something that USA Today and Stadium mostly did not provide. And then I called a couple of people who work in recruiting operations. And I was basically just like, explain this to me like I'm an idiot because I am an idiot. Like, how how, how does this work? Um, And what people were telling me was like, you know, sometimes if a school owns a private plane, which some really big state schools do, and you get on that plane to go fly to California to go talk to a recruit, that money doesn't show up on your recruiting expenses. That's just general operating budget, so the school can like write off an extra, you know, forty grand uh, off that one trip. You know, some schools when they're hosting uh, big official visits for kids, some of the money they spend on food or on you know setting up the tents or the tables or the personnel, they put that in a different recruiting bucket too. And, and so this is interesting if you're just a hardcore nerd, because I think a lot of people look at that data and then they go like, well, hey, you know, Wisconsin, they, they win a lot of football games and they don't, they don't seem to spend very much on recruiting. They're being very efficient. Maybe, but, you know, we don't know for sure unless we actually get really you know, deeper into that, into that data. But I think this is, this is much more important because we're, we're in the middle of a bunch of big conversations about what college football programs can afford. What, you know, can they afford to remain in FBS? Can they afford to spend big on, on athletic infrastructure? Can they afford to give more money or resources to, to, the, to that students? Um, and we don't know exactly what they can afford because what, the, what, they're, the, what schools are reporting for their, their, their finances, which they're obligated to do as public entities, is not terribly clear. So when you when you read a stat that says, well, hey, listen, only twenty two college football teams are making a profit, or most of these schools are broke, like you shouldn't believe them <laughs> if, if you right. get into that math a little bit more. Uh, the, the I think the reality is is not what exactly what was being depicted.
0: There's there's no standard reporting on how the universities have to, they're reporting to the NCAA, right?
1: Yeah. So th- there's reports, to the NCAA, there's some other reports that they have to send to the department of education, which is why we can get ballpark figures for how big private school athletic departments are. But, you know, th- these are, these are massive institutions, you know, even a, a, a small athletic department at this point has a, a 50 million budget, 40 million budget. That's, excuse me, going to employ hundreds of people. And that's just a small part of a university as a whole. And all of these budgets are, are, um, are connected. Some of this is going to go in athletic operations, some of it goes in athletic recruiting, some of it might go in information technology. Um, and you're right, there's not a standard way that every school has to report every specific kind of expense, and maybe doing it that way is impossible. Um, but if you don't have if you're not a CPA, and friends, I definitely am not, um, and you don't get the very itemized detailed reports that you generally have to file an open records request to get, you're not going to get a complete picture. You know, the, the, the biggest thing that, that that jumps to mind is what schools say they spend on scholarships. You know, if you look at the USA Today database or if you listen to, to talking to some other, um, you know, athletic directors, they'll say, hey, you know, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on scholarships. That limits our ability to do stuff. But like, they're not really spending that. They're they're writing a check to the school and the school kind of picks an arbitrary number for what that scholarship is because they're generally going to pick like the full tuition price, for an out-of-state resident, which is not what most people are doing. So like the actual cost of that scholarship is much closer to the opportunity cost of whether a student, you know, whether you're admitting a kid there or not. And for a lot of really big schools, that cost is very small. Um, And suddenly that's an easy way to make your uh, profitable athletic department look like it's running a deficit, um, which you may want to do for political reasons.
0: I I get that. I mean, here's a small example of that. Every scholarship athlete should be able to go to the bookstore and get their books for free. Yeah. Do they get charged back to the athletic department? um, Are those things in place? Nobody nobody would know that. Only each university would understand that that transaction and how their their budget is constructed around all of the stuff that goes into athletics. And you have hundreds of athletes for – what is it? Uh, I think Nebraska has 22 sports. Penn State has maybe 26.
1: Yeah, Mo- yeah most schools in the Big Ten, uh, you know, I-, I think it's the Big Ten and the Pac-12 generally sponsor more varsity sports than anybody in the country. Um, these, are, these are really big uh, a- athletic departments beyond just the, the 85 people that you've got on a football team. Which is, I think, good for the university as a whole. It, it enriches your experience. It's fun if you live in Lincoln, but it, you know it creates other complications too that maybe Florida or Kentucky or Alabama
0: don't necessarily have. So you mentioned you thought this was part of a bigger picture about college football and like finances and health. Yeah. The,
1: so, the, I think one of the big stories nationally this off season has been about the health of this sport generally. Like, it's not a secret that. Almost every school is struggling with declining attendance, and um, you know that might be for a really big school. It might mean you're down a couple thousand people, and that's not necessary. Doesn't that doesn't necessarily appreciably change the game day experience? And for smaller schools, it could be very significant. You're talking um, about attendance at college football games at, at college football games, uh, especially for students, but people generally. Um, you know, if if there were a thousand people less at you know my alma mater at, at Ohio Stadium. That the athletic department bean counters will notice because those tickets have a face value of sixty bucks. But the stadium's still going to be plenty, plenty loud. If you take a thousand people away from Middle Tennessee State, people are going to notice. That's that that becomes worse for for everybody. And there's there's a lot of reasons for this. But if you are a school in the group of five or in the FCS and you don't have a fifty million dollar a year television check coming in like Nebraska is about to, or like Ohio state or like Michigan does. Um, Losing some of that attendance money is a big deal, especially if it's from kids, because what you're hoping for is that kids go on discounted tickets. They go to football games. They fall in love with the experience. They graduate, they buy season tickets and they become donors and boosters and financially support the athletic department for the next 45, 50 years. And I think there's some real concern that we're going to skip a generation either because they don't fall in love with that game day experience or with football the same way because they're not showing up or because they're broke <laughs> and they owe $65,000 in student loans and they don't have the money to write a check back to the university. They don't have the money to spend 300 bucks to go watch a football game against, you know, FCS Southwest a and Tech. Um, and then you start to have some bigger financial issues. And for a Nebraska or an Ohio State or a Michigan or a UCLA, you're insulated from some of those problems somewhat. But for a lot of programs in FBS and Division One generally, I don't think you are. And then it becomes, I think, pretty important to really understand you know, wh- where the money is, where it's going, h- how much there actually is. Because then I think we're, we're not too far from the point where I think some schools are going to have to make some uncomfortable decisions.
0: Right. And at Nebraska, I mean, it's not a matter of, are we going to attend the game? It's a matter of, oh, my God, the sellout streak back to 1962 might be in jeopardy. You would be shocked at how much people worry about that. And, you know, we're not right now because Scott Frost, the, the second coming, our, our savior, came back and, you know, everybody's excited about what he can do. But again, this the next generation of which Apparently Pat Fitzgerald just says, everybody's looking at their phones too much. And if they just stop that, they'd all go to college football games, but uh, it gets to be a little bit more than that. yeah, uh, I I ske- s- Scheduling would, it, it, they could schedule better. Yeah,
1: I, I think that's
0: a huge component. And what's unfortunate is
1: because so many of these schools have scheduled a decade out in advance that even I think now you're seeing a correction, right? Like uh, some of these big name SEC schools some of which are already cutting their athletic budgets, like Auburn and Ole Miss uh, have made financial cuts this year, which six years ago would have seemed unthinkable. Like, hey, these are enormous departments. They've got a fat SEC deal. Why would they Why would they ever need to cut anything? And they're, they're already starting to, to to feel some of this contraction. But I think they're starting to realize that, hey, it's a lot more fun to have a good team on campus rather than playing a game in Dallas or Atlanta in a neutral site to begin the season. But the problem is like, when they're making that course correction, you're not going to see that new game for eight years. Like, uh, and, and, and there's just, there's not enough room or ability to start putting your know, games that people are actually going to watch in the stadiums quickly enough to, to potentially save anybody's job. I, I think the quality of the game, not just out of conference, but in conference uh, is definitely a major factor for this. Like, you know, I'm an Ohio state guy, my, 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 alma mater has to play Rutgers every single year. And those games are going to suck for 30 years. And every time they're playing Rutgers, they're not playing Nebraska. They're not playing Wisconsin. They're not playing Iowa. They're not playing some schools that Ohio state has had a connection with for a hundred years. And people are going to care about, even if that team isn't necessarily good. You know, I, 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 you're right. I think you guys are insulated from this a little bit from Scott Frost, but there's probably a lot of, several schools that a lot of your fans have a deeper emotional connection to, that you'd probably rather play or have a,
0: a close relationship with than Maryland, but that's the world we live in right now. It is. Here's here's we have obviously a fake Facebook page for Coronation and and I tend to have my guys write mostly about Nebraska stuff, and I tend to focus more on the Big Ten and broader topics such as we're discussing in college football. There are times at which I will post an article on Facebook, and people will literally ask. Why are you posting a photo of an Ohio State player? This is a Nebraska page. And I have to ask, why do I care if Auburn's cutting its budget? Why do I care if Ohio has to, Ohio State Sorry, has to play Rutgers? You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Why do I care about what happens in other places? Because Nebraska just lives in a vacuum. We all go to games and we have Scott Frost. Did I mention that?
1: Yeah, I've, I've heard. You know, ha- and forgive me. Happy, happy Scott Frost Day. Thank you. Um, you know, you you guys are a rare exception, I think, in the sport right now where you're you're somewhat insulated from some of these forces, but that can change really quickly. You know, hopefully Frost is there for 20 years and, you know, brings in the second coming of our Lord and he reigns for a millennium of of peace and justice. And that, that would be lovely. But, um. Things in the sport change quickly and Scott Frost can can leave and you get another Bill Callahan and suddenly you have uh, some of these kinds of, of, of similar things. But to, to a Nebraska fan, I think what I would say is, you know, we live in, a, in an ecosystem where the success of Nebraska and and the success of the of this sport as a whole is connected, even though the sport is, is super regional. So, like, do I understand why you're like, hey, why do I care if Louisiana Lafayette's in trouble? You might not but that's a team that you could potentially play and Nebraska's budget is balanced off playing, you know, corn cob opponents in the beginning of the season that you typically beat by 70. And if they're facing extinction or if if they might leave FBS or if that ecosystem gets, gets changed a little bit, that's going to matter for Nebraska volleyball. That's going to matter for Nebraska gymnastics or, or, or some of the other things that you want to do. If there are headwinds that are hurting the, some of the, 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 the less blue blood teams of the big 10, like Nebraska fans should probably want Illinois to not suck forever. Um, because that's going to, that's going to help your schedule. That's going to help make things better for Nebraska. Um, you know, I under, I understand why you might look with some schadenfreude as something bad happening to Auburn, you know, and as a Midwestern college football fan, I think that's your birthright. Like I, I get it. I, I understand, you know, your listeners not shedding any tears for what's happening here with the PAC 12. But we're not so completely isolated as you might think. And if there are things that are making some some programs within the sport less healthy, I think eventually they will have an impact on Nebraska too.
0: Bah, I got distracted. So you've got this the the future. We're worried about uh, whether or not people are going to attend football games. The TV contracts look like they're you know they're swimming in money right now. Uh, because they are at least the Big Ten and the SEC, right? The two conferences we really care about. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, You've you mentioned this could all change very quickly. What do you think? I mean, America is right now almost like trying to talk itself into a recession. Uh, TV contracts are going to come up for renewal in the next few years. College athletic departments continue to build Taj Mahal facilities and and uh you know i don't know resorts didn't somebody build something with sleeping chambers that that would be lsu the school that uh whose library <laughs> needs to be rebuilt
1: right now uh and has some infrastructure damage across campus uh yes built built what what looks like something straight out of mass effect
0: wow what what's going to happen if we hit something where the tv contracts aren't coming in we do go into recession you know what I mean? What what's? Let's say that happens. What do you think is the the result of that in terms of college football?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, that's something that I would want almost every athletic director to have a good answer for. You know, the last time we had a recession, which is, you know, about when I graduated college and uh, that meant that my generation lost earning potential that we'll probably never get back. Um, it was pretty harmful across the sport industry. General college football was a little bit insulated; like nobody dropped to FCS because of it. But we had, like, a, you know, it, it, I think we had a WNBA team fold. We had, uh, you know, problems, you know, much uh, across a lot of professional sports. Generally, it was really bad for minor league baseball. And I, I, we're already facing, I think, some some headwinds as a collective that maybe we that weren't as much a thing in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, my my big worry is if we have a recession that that's gonna that's gonna really damage um, attendance, and it's going to I think it's going to have a, a pretty negative impact in some of the local communities surrounding some of these these teams, right? Like you know, uh, Ohio State has a has an outsized economic impact in Columbus, but Columbus is also a really big city. You know, the Nationwide Insurance is headquartered there. Uh, you know, if, if other things are going on, but. If if people aren't going to Starkville or State College and they're not selling out that stadium and they're not spending $350 a night at the one Marriott in State College, they're not buying a bunch of T-shirts, that hurts that community substantially. Even for people who are not directly related to that university's football team. Um,
0: that well, you is, could, You go uh, to a Nebraska game. I guess as a fan maybe it's different, but I go to a Nebraska game and I just – you know you're credentialed so you see the behind the scenes stuff and you see all the vendors and all the people selling t-shirts and, yeah. and books and uh, footballs and autograph stuff and then you go inside and you see all the stuff that happens behind the scenes with the media and things like that and you are it's like i don't want to say it hits you in the face i guess i just did but it's <laughs> very apparent of how much of a commercial Entity this thing is what game day means to Lincoln, Nebraska is massive. It's it's
1: it's it's a huge business, and it's been a huge business honestly for at least a hundred years. And I, I think that's one of the things that that frustrates me. I think when I I hear usually journalists or columnists of a certain age kind of wax nostalgic for what called you know a, a more morally righteous college football before big business or before before it became a big thing, right? And they're usually talking about what it was like before uh, the deregulation of the NCAA cable television deal. All right. So this you know, the, the, the really big money from cable TV started hitting in the late 80s, early 90s, um, even though the deregulation happened, I think, in 84. But this, I mean, what we're describing here, like that's been a thing since Yale, that's been, you know, we, we we look up at what attendance was like for the Chicago Maroons and what that meant for this city and what that meant for the you know this greater infrastructure. Like it's it's all been there. Like there, there was no unsullied past. And I, I think that's like a, a kind of professional hobby horse for me. It was part of why I wrote my book, and that's something that we talk about a lot um for um uh you know for extra points here, too. I, I do wanna. The, the other thing that I think we, we really might see that's going to make things worse for fans is a recession would be devastating to an already really precarious local media situation. So a lot of the of the newspapers that cover college towns in this country are either owned by Gannett or owned by Gatehouse. Those are two of the biggest newspaper chains in the country. That's when, when I very first started my journalism career, I used to write for a paper in NERC, Ohio. Uh, which is owned by Gannett, uh, and um, those two companies are merging. Uh, when those companies merge, typically what happens is you, people's jobs get uh, lost to to pursue efficiencies, right? So uh, I, I think that's going to happen for um, uh, a fair amount of you know these newspapers in places like South Bend and Starkville and Gainesville and some of these smaller places. But if there is a recession and consumer spending on digital subscription slows or uh, spending from major brands on advertisements lows, that's gonna rock almost every newspaper. And you know, even for a place like Nebraska, where I imagine you probably have, between newspapers, radios, blogs, television stations, you probably have more than 20 people on the Nebraska beat. Um, for, for people outside like those top 12 programs. There,
0: there's, probably probably more, there's probably more than 20 people on the, on the beat for baseball alone. Yeah, I, I, I remember I was blown away the one time I covered a
1: volleyball game at Nebraska one. Cause there's like, th- it was like sold out. There's 12,000 people. Right. I'd never seen that in a volleyball game before, but then there's like, there's 10 people in the media room and you know, in Ohio state where the, which also has excellent volleyball programs, there's going to be a student reporter and maybe one other guy. Um, like I, I, I your, your beat is gigantic, but for most schools, that's not the way it is. And if there's a recession, you're going to see fewer people in that room. And that means you're going to get worse coverage. You're going to get less adversarial coverage. It means people are going to get away with things or you're just not going to know about what's going on with your team. And that hurts everybody.
0: It especially hurts the people that were working at the newspapers. Unfortunately, a lot of people say they care about newspapers, but they really don't. You know what I mean? They don't subscribe. They don't keep them healthy. So yeah, I it's, think the it's, thing it's, about that is yeah. they're like, they take it for granted, but then when it's gone, they all go, oh my God, what happened to that?
1: You know, we- I, 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 the, the line that, I, it's, it's funny when I first started at SB Nation, I you know around 2014, and I, I think for people around my age who kind of got into to digital blogging or the, the digital new media, and you know, over the last decade, in the beginning, I think we looked at newspapers as the bad guy, right? Like we, we looked at the middle-aged columnist who every paragraph was a different sentence and clearly didn't research things very well, and, and didn't like the sport anymore and I, I think most people listening can imagine somebody like that and think like, screw that guy, I'm gonna be faster, I'm gonna be funnier, I'm gonna be smarter, I know how to use the internet and that guy doesn't and I'm gonna win. And for a while we did, like it was immensely satisfying for me that I can go look at, at my blog that had like a thousand dollar budget when I first started, get more web traffic in the Columbus Dispatch covering Ohio State, which which happened for a couple of times here in the beginning. But at the end of the day, a lot of what makes news on Twitter and a lot of what makes our blogs and a lot of it makes digital media successful is aggregation, and 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 that that I don't think that's a criticism. I, I think there, that that really does have a place within media to be able to to amplify and analyze um, you know another report. But if the newspapers all go extinct or if they start cutting, there's nothing to aggregate. And getting on the ground and doing news news gathering. Be able to survive but like there's gonna be some good football programs i'm thinking like memphis or cincinnati you know which i which are papers that are covered in in this merger that don't have huge beats that i think could potentially really be at risk
0: wow okay uh i know we said we we're gonna go 45 minutes but i am getting texts and uh, yelled at by somebody whose systems are falling apart. And I wish that didn't happen, but that's uh, what happens when you run a a site and it's not a full-time job. I want you to tell people about your newsletter and how they can subscribe.
1: Sure. So Extra Points comes out at least twice a week. Um, It's generally about 1,500 words, covers one to three uh, sports, business, media, politics, history – you know, culture stories that impact college sports. You can subscribe at mattbrown.substack.com. There is a link from my Twitter account. That's Matt SBN, um, and I, I hope you enjoy it. Most most people who have who have been following along and reading uh, have said pretty positive things. And sometimes you know I give away books or we we give away some other special deals, and hopefully it's worth your while.
0: I I will include this information in show notes. You also mentioned that you'd written a book.
1: I have. Uh, I wrote a book called What If? A Closer Look at College Football's Great Questions came out. Uh, shoot, I guess it's been about two years now. Uh, it takes a look at some of the, the, the big uh, historical events in college football and how things might have turned out a little bit differently. Um,
0: like you know, if Bob had, had, Devaney never came to Nebraska.
1: Exactly, which he almost didn't. He was like Nebraska's like third or fourth third or fourth choice for that job. So there's there's a whole chapter about Nebraska. There's a couple of chapters about the old timey Big Ten. And there's some stuff about like the the Metro conference and conference realignment plans that, that almost happened. Um so uh that book is on Amazon. It's uh, I think sixteen dollars. You can get it in some brick and mortar stores. Um I think you may enjoy it too.
0: I'll also include that in the show notes. Uh Anything else that we? Obviously, I'm skipping some things that we should have talked about. But again, I'm getting distracted. <sighs> uh, it's, it's okay. It's 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 a it's a busy
1: morning. I, I I I just encourage you to subscribe if you're interested. Like I know this may have come off as a uh, a very pessimistic uh, kind of podcast. Like I I don't think that that we're headed toward like we're headed towards a college football apocalypse necessarily. Um, there are definitely some people who are skeptical about some trends in American higher education that I think will be impossible to insulate college football from. But I'm st- I still love the sport. I'm still really excited about this season. I think there's going to be some really fun things going on, uh, you know, happening this year. Um, so I I think I you know I I encourage you to follow along with what I'm doing and what my colleagues are doing and across ESPN are doing because I-, I I think this is going to be a fun year.
0: I'll I'll give you the same compliment that Ramsey gave us on the podcast I did about Ohio state with him. I open your newsletter and read it because I like to read it. Not because I feel like, Oh God, it's Matt Brown. I should look at that. So I know what he's talking about.
1: That is uh that's one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. I, look, man, I'm just trying to make an email that doesn't suck. We get so many emails that suck. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, want, I want, I want this one to be interesting. And, and so far, you know, most of the people, seem to like it or at least at least they're being very polite and and not telling me that it sucks to my face which i appreciate
0: that's because it doesn't suck i don't think unless you're really you know like this has to be about x's and o's analysis and i signed up for it and it's not it you do it very well you're you write very well i enjoy reading them they keep me up to date on stuff because sometimes i get behind and i'm still supposed to do things like this where i'm doing a podcast and at least acting like i'm staying in touch with what's going on in college football uh when i'm really just praying that the football season starts that's what i'm looking forward to
1: i can't wait brother i i actually have to go right now too unfortunately uh, (laughs) yeah i know thank you thank you so much for having me on and uh, i look forward to enjoying the season with you and and your site over the coming weeks
0: all right thank you and thank you listeners for listening to john's post-life crisis I hope you are not as distracted as we are and you're having a good, healthy week. Uh, Take care. Please subscribe and uh, have a good week. Welcome college football. Goodbye.